We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Rob Doster here for the Field of 60. Today, we are bringing you another episode in our Off the Carousel series, where we will be joined by each and every new head coach to the Division I ranks. There are almost 60 of them. We're going to be rolling these out a couple of days throughout the month of May and the month of June. So make sure that you subscribe to the channel. And if you like this interview, don't be afraid to tap that like button. That stuff really does help our channel and help our presence on YouTube. It helps more people like you find this content. And since I have you guys here, make sure that you check out our Instagram and TikTok pages. We are going to be pumping out more unique content over there throughout the summer heading into next season. Like, for example, did you know that Penny Hardaway was shot when he was a player in college? I bet you didn't know that. There are more stories like that on those pages. The links are in the description below. So now, without further ado, let's get into another edition of Off the Carousel. Alrighty, guys, my name is Andrew Robinson, and I am pleased to be joined by the newest head men's basketball coach at SMU, Coach Rob Lanier, on a new edition of Off the Carousel. So, Coach, man, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. No doubt, no doubt. It's definitely um, a pleasure to kind of finally get uh, get to sit down with you, Coach. And uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the interview, you know, I kind of want to be able to give you the opportunity to kind of tell you your story about your journey into coaching, man, because you were a player yourself, like at St. Bonaventure. You had a, a great career there. And obviously, you know, now you, you've had quite the journey, you know, in, in, into coaching a couple stops, you know, coaching under Rick Barnes, head coach at Siena, and, and a couple other stops in between there. But uh, I kind of want to get your, your thoughts on just your journey into coaching, man. I mean, what, what kind of propelled you into the job and kind of how did you get to sit in the seat that, that you're in today? Yeah, well, thanks. And, and again, appreciate you having me, Andrew. Uh, you know, like you said, I played at St. Bonaventure, uh, 86 through 90 at a time when the Atlantic 10 was uh, a little bit different. It was before the current day realignment. You know, back back then, uh, in the Atlantic 10, you had uh, Rutgers, West Virginia, Penn State. All of those schools were in the Atlantic 10 Conference. So didn't know that. Uh, along with UMass and St. Bonaventure, St. Joe's, Temple, uh, you know, so uh, Duquesne. So the, the makeup of the league is much different now because then uh, Penn State uh, ended up joining the Big Ten with all sports, but they were independent in football back then. And then 
uh, um, in the Atlantic 10 in basketball, Rutgers, West Virginia. So it was a different league. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I got a, I got an opportunity early on as a graduate assistant to work uh, for a guy by the name of Jack Armstrong. So right out of college, I got a GA spot with Jack, who's now the, uh, the color analyst for the uh, Toronto Raptors. But he was a very young head coach at the age of 28 when uh when i got on with him and i worked with uh some really good guys there for two years and had a lot of responsibility and then after two years at niagara i went back to my alma mater and i worked for a guy by the name of jim Barron, uh who was a terrific coach he he, he, he was a head coach at st francis of pa came back to bonaventure for about 10 years and then another 10 years at rhode island so he, he, and then he finished his head coaching career at, at Canisius College. So I spent five years with Jim, then two years at Rutgers University under a guy by the name of uh, Kevin Bannon. And then I went from uh, Rutgers to uh, University of Texas, where, you know, I got the opportunity to work with Rick Barnes. And Rick has had a you know tremendous impact on my career and on my family and in my, and my journey. So uh, he'd been very, very influential. Um, and I, I left there and spent four years at, at Siena. So I was at Siena from 2001 to 2005. And then I left there and went to University of Virginia with Dave Leto. Um, two years with Dave, then four years at University of Florida with Billy Donovan. And then went back to Texas for another stint with Coach Barnes. And I wound up spending the next eight years with him for four at Texas, four at Tennessee before being hired at Georgia State. And then uh, three years at Georgia State and I was minding my own business and I got a call about the SMU job. And uh, I knew a little bit about it from the six years that I had spent in the state and, you know, recruiting in the state and in Dallas and just being familiar with division one basketball. I knew that SMU had a lot of good things, you know, high, high, high academic reputation and, a great location, great facilities. And, and then, uh, you know, I got the opportunity to come out and see it firsthand and couldn't be happier than to be here right now. Quite the journey, Coach, man. Definitely going to circle back, man, to ask you about some of those experiences uh, along the way. But, you know, I want to ask you, man, I mean, what, what about SMU – um, you know, made you want to take this job now. Obviously, you're coming off an NCAA tournament berth at Georgia State where you guys gave Gonzaga a run for their money. Definitely going to also get into that a little bit later. But, you know, what 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 made this opportunity the right opportunity uh, and this job the right job and this time the right time to go ahead and make that leap? Yeah, I, I think this is one of those jobs where, you know, I think it's almost cliche now when you start talking about the best of both worlds and all of this, but I really do think this represents the opportunity to do everything at the very highest level. Um, obviously, I, I really loved Atlanta. I loved working at Georgia State and for the people that I was working for. So I was happy, had no desire to leave. Um, but this was different and, and, and I felt like it was a different type of opportunity. I knew a little bit about the athletic director, Rick Hart here, because his father was the athletic director uh, when we were hired at Tennessee. Mm. And so I knew a little bit about Rick's reputation and his lineage. And uh, I had heard so many good things about the way he leads and manages 
So as much as I felt like this was a good job, um, my my understanding of who he was as a leader had a lot to do with that. And so when I heard from them, I, I you know, I thought Dallas academics, you know, um, resources and all of these things and tradition facilities. I was aware of that, but I was thinking Rick Hart in the back of my mind um, because I was working for such a good athletic director at Georgia state. And I had such a great relationship with him and a lot, a lot of trust in him that when you do have a job where you've got that kind of relationship, it's hard to leave. And uh, so, uh, you know, that had a lot to do with the thought process. Um, but I knew the resources were great here. I knew the location was great. And, and it's one of those places that has, that has tremendous upside. And uh, I'm just at a stage in my career where I wanted an opportunity to do something truly special. And I thought this represented that. I mean, I'm, I'm a, uh... Younger guy, obviously, man. I can remember when a guy by the name of Keith Frazier from Texas area, you know, Dallas All American, committed to, to SMU. Obviously, they had a wonderful talent there in, in Kendrick Davis uh, next year. But you know, I'm I'm a DMV guy, you know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm very biased to my hometown, man. I think we had the best basketball in America, but you know, Texas is not is not you know uh, no slouch. You know, there's a plethora of talent down there in the Texas and Dallas area. Uh, what are you kind of most looking forward to being able to kind of just get your feet on the ground and, and, and recruit the state of Texas and the city of Dallas? Because like I mentioned, man, there's obviously a plethora of players that, that are coming from, from down there. Yeah, well, first of all, I agree with you about the DMV. I think it's special. You know, I think it's one of the still one of the throwbacks, if you will, like, you know, high school basketball is still really important in that community. Right. Um, and then travel basketball is really good. There's great programs. But there's a love for basketball in a community that sustains itself. You know, there's some areas where a lot of kids leave and go to prep school. Yeah. But you still have kids that go to the area high schools and stick with it for the most part. So you're getting that that uh, that culture hasn't been fractured too much. Right. And I was in Atlanta where, where you have that and yeah. you get it at other places cyclically and. You know, Dallas is in that conversation. There's, there's, there's very few cities that have as much talent as they have in this area. And, you know, in cycles, you might have a time where Houston has more players. And, um, the talent level in Austin, San Antonio was growing. Basketball throughout the state is really, really growing here. And so for us, we have an opportunity to do to be thorough and find the guys who fit our sensibilities as coaches that fit what this institution commands of you academically um, that can compete at the level we, we want to compete at. And so to be able to do that right here at home and at the same time, because of our academic reputation and our location to be able to recruit nationally, um, it just gives us a broader net to put out there to try to attract players that can help you compete at the highest level. Right. I got to ask you, man, I mean, obviously you guys ha had a wonderful year uh, at Georgia State, you know, were able to win the Sun Belt and had a matchup against Gonzaga where you guys actually were, were, were hanging in there, man. People, I mean, that was actually one of the, one of the trending games that was looking like you guys were actually going to knock Gonzaga off for a little bit, man, in that tournament game. But what do you kind of remember from that game? Uh, just kind of take me back uh, throughout that game and just talk about, you know, what that moment was like for you guys and, uh, you know, just that whole experience in general. Well, you know, we had one 10 straight going into the game. So, you know, uh, and we were still getting better 
you know, because our, our team had been impacted by COVID and injuries in a profound way throughout the course of the year. So we knew that eventually we would get back to playing good basketball. And we did that. So, you know, I didn't say it to the team, but I I did feel like, you know, as we weren't, we didn't deserve a 16 seed. I thought we were better than that. And I thought our league was better than that. Um, But I felt the best way to show that we were better than that was to go out and beat the number one seed. And so that was our aim. And um, it was quite a, uh, quite a task. Now, you know, I, I got so much respect for coach Few and their program and their players and what they've done is, is, I mean, it's remarkable. Um, what stands out to me about the game is we prepared for them knowing that they were one of the best in the country at running like transition defense was going to be a huge factor in the game. We knew that going in, but once the game started, it was still like, wow, these guys really, really flying. And as a coach, I was actually thinking during the game, like, I got to get my team to do this <laughs> because it's the way we try to play and they were better at it than we were. We were up to the task in the game, but in my mind, I was really impressed by what they were doing because you could feel it. Yeah. And, uh, but like I said, we, 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 we ran with them. Uh, my best big towards ACL at the end of the first half. And um, when people ask me about the game, that really is where my mind goes first because that young man is you know, one of the best human beings I've ever coached. And he was coming off a knee injury from the fall and he didn't return until mid-January. And for him to end his college career that way was really, um, you know, I, I, I hate that. Not, that. That's not to say, I, I think we would remain competitive in the game. And, and so I don't offer that as an excuse for why we lost the game. But when I think about the game, I think about him because uh I hate the fact that that particular young man ended his college career in that way. And one of the things that happened is we went into the locker room at halftime and one of our freshmen, a young man by the name of Jamal Kleiss, we went into the training room in the locker room area and we stood around uh, Ellie Elson Sammy, who was on the, the training table with a torn ACL and Jamal Kleiss said a prayer he gathered us and said a prayer, and it was one of the more profound experiences in my career. And I was also saying, shit, we ain't got no chance in the second half after all this emotion. And we came out in the second half and continued to play. Yeah. And we ran out of a little gas, and they made a run that they, that's typical of their program. But uh, as a team, it was a great experience. Um, and a lot of it had to do with that moment at halftime that we had together as a team. That's an exceptional story, man. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely uh, a man of faith. So, you know, hearing that that guys are kind of gathering and, and saying prayers like that in, in a moment of kind of trial and tribulation is, is definitely powerful. Um, but I agree. You guys were definitely one of the probably the most underseated teams, I would argue, in the NCAA tournament last season. There's no way you guys deserved the 16 seed. But like you mentioned, you guys definitely uh, gave Gonzaga a run for their money. And I think the people kind of kind of saw that, you know. Um, I want to ask you, man, I, I, I like, like I mentioned before, you know, you've played for – Rick Barnes, I mean, excuse me, coach under Rick Barnes, Billy Donovan, you know, Jim Barron, a bunch of legendary coaches. How do you think that uh, those guys have, have affected your coaching style? What are some of the things that you've taken from, from those guys? Because obviously, you know, we've seen the success that each of those guys have been able to have and are still having today. Yeah, I think all of those guys, uh, including Dave Lato and, and Jack Armstrong, 
you know, I worked with Jack at, at a really young age and Jack was young and he was super organized and meticulous and a little bit OCD, you know, when it came to organization. And so right away, early in my career, that was my experience, like how you organize things, how, how it has to work, everything from individual workouts. And back then we were doing what we call film exchange because we didn't have video the same way we use it now. Um, I was, I was the acting strength and conditioning coach. I was the acting, acting academic coordinator, um, acting. <laughs> I was trying, um, but I had that responsibility. And as a result of that, I got a lot of experience and I felt his presence in terms of how organized he was. So I knew I had to uh, do the job in a certain way. So that impacted me tremendously. And then with Jim Barron, I felt like, um, he cares about people so much and coaches with his heart. And so I saw his perspective on uh, being patient with guys and that balance between that patience and, and being demanding. And I experienced that with Jim, you know, a lot of love and tough love at the same time, you know, and uh, he was great in that regard. And, you know, being around Rick Barnes was the first time that I was, you know, exposed to that high level operation that made me say, okay, when I get a job, this is the blueprint. And so, I, you know, I took that and, and really from an operational standpoint, so much of what we do is grounded in the way uh, we functioned at Texas. And then when I got with Billy, I felt a little bit more aligned with him in terms of the sensibilities strictly from a player coach standpoint in terms of how we play offensively, how you communicate that, how you empower players. Um, and again, that balance between empowering them and holding them accountable and striking that balance and, uh, and being able to communicate those messages. Um, I picked up there and um, that I felt like he and I were closer, more closely related in that regard. And then I got a chance to spend eight more years with coach again and uh, coach Barnes. So, um, and then along the way, Larry Shyatt, Shaka Smart, Richard Pitino, um, Desmond Oliver, Mike Schwartz, a lot of the guys that I was assistant with, I learned a lot from those guys as well in terms of scouting, communication and terminology and um, what other people value. Um, you can learn a lot of things that way. And even from the staff that I've had with me, I've learned from those guys. And, and the big thing I've learned from all of those guys is that you keep learning. And I think uh, that's what most good coaches do. And so, uh, so I try to adopt that mindset. Yep. I mean, I think that's a perfect segue into my next question. Uh, you mentioned this idea about, you know, continuing to learn and you're always learning new things. And today, Today's landscape of college basketball is a lot different than what it was even five years ago and let alone 10, 20 years ago with, you know, NIL and the transfer portal and all these type of things. And, you know, there's been a lot of things in the media about just NIL and even in, in your state of Texas that's in right now with Texas A&M and this big thing with Jimbo Fisher going back and forth with Nick Saban about NIL. And, you know, everybody kind of fears Texas in the sense, the state of Texas. And this NIL sense because they're like, oh, you no, know, it's an oil state. They got all this money down there. And you can do kind of special things just um, with, with NIL down there because of the resources. So I want to ask you, you know, obviously entering, entering uh, this job, asking you, like, 
how do you plan to incorporate NIL into your program? Do you think that that can kind of give you guys an advantage, you know, competing down there in, in, in the American Conference with some other schools that maybe not may not have the same resources that, resources that you guys have down there in Dallas and in Texas in general? Yeah, I, I think we do have some things at our disposal that will allow us to utilize the NIL in a way that I think could be unique to our situation because there's so many companies and uh, businesses and entities here in the area that can serve as a resource in that regard. Um, it's not our aim as an institution just to have a pool of money that we dole out. Yeah. But we do want young people to utilize the resources here to earn those opportunities in a way that will not only uh, help them financially when they're on campus, but also be able to leverage those relationships for the future so that they can have real relationships with companies in a way that will help them beyond college. And we have a program on our campus called Life After Ball, for example, that, uh, that an alumnus and, and our, our athletic program sponsors, primarily through football that has branched out to all of our programs that is geared to helping our young people develop relationships with companies and people who are influential in all aspects of life beyond sports and trying to make those connections in a meaningful way. And for us, we wanna use that program on our campus, but also uh, create a situation where our young people actually have a working relationship with entities as opposed to just finding ways for people to hand over cash. We, we, we want young people to, to be able to have relationships with people that has some meaning because we're in, there's very few universities in a metropolitan area like this yeah. that has the kind of uh, uh, business resources that Dallas offers. And so it's our intent to do it in a way where young people get some practical experience out of it instead of just getting some money. We think you can do more than that. Now, I want to ask you, Coach, because I think, you know, I'm, I'm a novice when it comes to this NIL thing because I finished my college career right before it came into effect, you know, which is something I'll, I'll always be upset about. But there's a lot of people who kind of have these questions about how it works, you know, and, you know, there's a rules that say, you know, NIL cannot be pay for play. You know, you can't say we're going to give you this amount of money to come to our school and things like that. Um, you know, but the reality is there are schools who may have, you know, better resources or who are better equipped to provide players with more opportunities. In, NIL, in the NIL space. So my question to you is, how do you make that work? Like if, if, if you're recruiting the kid and things like that, like how do you frame it in the sense that, yo, like we can't pay you to come to our school or say we're going to hand out this amount of money for you to come here. But, you know, if you do come here and perform on the court, like there is an opportunity for you to make, you know, X amount of money. But, you know, it's hard because, you know, as a, as a casual fan, you know, we're reading Twitter and we're seeing, oh, this guy's going to Miami for 800,000 or this guy's going here for 500,000. So it's like, that reads like pay for play, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of hard to, you know, navigate that, um, you know, from an NIL sense, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. And I, I think, uh, I mean, you're asking that question and so are we. <laughs> you know, but, but, I, but I, you know, I, I think here at SMU, as an institution, we have an identity that's grounded in our location, our academic reputation, and our athletic aspirations. And so the NIL can serve us in a way, um, but 
I don't, for at least as far as my program is concerned, I do not want to pay for play scenario um, because I don't think we're helping young people in that way. But I do want them to uh, uh, benefit from the opportunities that are there. But we want to make sure that the opportunities themselves present themselves in a meaningful way. And that's what I was talking about on your previous question is there's business opportunities here. There's ways to do it in a, in a way that I think has more practical meaning for young people beyond college. And so relationships with, with companies and such that we technically can't facilitate. So however those relationships come to fruition, we, we want for those to be uh, earned relationships that require young people to do something and have a real relationship with people that has enough meaning that when they're done playing, that those relationships remain intact. Right. Um, and so uh, I'd rather young people get experience and get compensated for that experience than uh, to get compensated because they score a lot of points. But if, if playing well, creates those relationships, then even then we'd like to see those young people uh, somehow do something to earn that in a way other than just performance. Now, obviously, you know, SMU does have a rich um, basketball tradition. You know, you've got the, the golden era of, of pony hoops and things like that. Um, obviously, but it's been a lot of turmoil, you know, as far as NCAA violations and things like that. For you, like, what does your – version of success look like at SMU? Like what is kind of um not the peak, but like what is what are what is like how, how far do you think SMU basketball can, can be? Do you think that it can be in a place where it's you know back in the you know top 10 programs in the nation when it comes to basketball? Like, you know, if if you could look back on your experience, you know, 10 years from now and say this is what success looked like for us, like what what would that be? Well, I wouldn't put any cap on it. You know, and that's why I came here, because I don't think there's any cap on it. You know, I think uh, all, all the possibilities are on the table for this program. And so my goal is to try to lead a program that's good enough to explore whatever those possibilities might be. And, uh, you know, college basketball, um, there, there's a level that if you do it the right way, and I think we're at that level, that everything's on the table. You know, my goal is for us to one day compete for a national championship. And so in order to do that, you have to be in the NCAA tournament. And in order to be in the NCAA tournament, there's a certain level you have to reach. There's a certain caliber player you have to get. And it speaks to some of those questions you're asking about NIL and all of that, the kind of players you got to get, the way you got to compete, the caliber of coaching that you have to perform at each day, you know, all of those things. But I think we're at a place and we're in a location and we're at an institution that everything is on the table and uh, we're approaching it that way, that there's no limit to our goals for this program. Now you uh, talked about, you know, your experience, you know, you just came back from a weekend at, at USA basketball and I want to kind of give you a chance to kind of talk about that experience, you know, uh, just what, what, what that experience was like for you, um, kind of how you can kind of carry that into this upcoming season. Well, it was great. You know, the way USA basketball does it, there's, there's a, uh, when they announced their coaching staff, so in this case, it was Tad Boyle, Leon Rice, and Mike Boynton is going to coach the under-18 team. They, they have a group that they whittle down to a certain number, and then they, from that number, they start to practice 
And then through the practices, they try to get down to 12. So in order to whittle the number down, they bring in three what they call court coaches. And so it's like an entry-level opportunity for three other coaches, myself, Matt Langle from Colgate, and Tommy Lloyd from Arizona. Um, and then they have committee members that come in and they talk through uh, uh, the process of whittling those numbers down. So you're in the room with Mark Fox, Matt Painter, Damian Wilkins, um, Coach Shaw Walter, who's got a, a lot of experience coaching USA basketball, and Sean Ford, who's the executive director, uh, uh, James Jones, the head coach at uh, Yale. Um, so it's a, a, a great group of tremendous coaches with great basketball minds. And so between the practices and the meetings, I think it was just great for me to hear what other coaches value, to hear different terminology, to watch Tad Boyle conduct the practice and see why he's so good, to see Tommy Lloyd on the, on the floor, his energy and what makes him uh, such a special young coach. And being around Mike Boyton, who I tried to recruit when he was in, when he was in high school and seeing how great he is as a coach and as a man and how much of a thinker he is. And I was just impressed by everything that was going on there and how organized USA basketball is, how well it's run, you know, such a top-notch organization and everything from those people that I mentioned to the managers, um, to uh, B BJ uh, Domingo, who's an organizer. Um, you know, I was just, everything about it, was just high quality. And if you've been around good basketball programs, you know a good organization when you've seen one. And uh, seeing the operation of USA Basketball was really, really awesome. So I felt honored to be a part of it in that capacity and hopeful that I'll get a chance to be a part of it in the future. It, it was just a great all-around experience. And the young people who were there, they, they were all great young men. It, it was really, really cool seeing these high caliber young people with so much talent uh, be such good young men to be around. That, that, that was awesome too. So it was, it was a great experience all the way around. That's amazing. Um, I want to ask this question, coach. Um, and this is kind of a, more of a, just like a personal question, but you know, for me, I think one of the things that I've had a tremendous amount of pleasure watching uh, over the last year, honestly, um, <laughs> just the amount of, amount of opportunities that have been afforded to uh, African-American coaches. Um, Obviously, yourself being able to be hired at, at SMU. Um, I, I interviewed Bashir Mason and Tony Madlock um, on the part of this off the carousel series as well, who were able to get new jobs uh, this cycle. Um, you know, we just finished watching the NCAA tournament. You have Shaheen Hollow and making a run to the Elite Eight, and you know, Coach Hubert Davis is a national championship game. And um, for me, I think it's it's it has been a, a pleasure to, to see that. Even now, I mean, watching the NBA, you got Ime Udoka who's coaching the Boston Celtics to, to the NBA Finals. Um, for you, I just want to get your thoughts on kind of just, um, just what, what it means for you to kind of just see uh, African-American coaches being able to get these type of opportunities and uh, excel at, at the highest level like, like, like we're seeing right now. Um, and do you think that it's something that, you know, can kind of continue, can, can kind of continue to grow and, and be sustained, you know, long, long term? Because I remember last year uh, or almost two years ago now, I guess 2020, when the whole George Floyd thing was happening, there were all these coalition is being formed of African-American coaches and trying to figure out how we can get more opportunities and just more visibility and things like that. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that um, and kind of just this, this time period that one right now. 
Well, I think there's a lot of things being normalized in the world that aren't good. Right. Um, but I, I think, you know, as a young coach getting into the business in 1990, the landscape has changed dramatically, right? Um, and I think one of the reasons it's changed, and it's funny because when we first got on this call, I got, I got a call from Rob Evans, who um, is on is, is a part of our administration here. And he's one of the guys I've always looked up to because he was the first African-American hired to coach in any sport at Ole Miss. And our president here, uh, you know, Dr. Turner, uh, was the one who hired him, his former college teammate. You know, it's a great story. Wow. But Coach Evans is a great resource on this campus, in particular for me and our program, just a great man. And, um, and, you know, back then you had Nolan Richardson and Coach Thompson and Coach Cheney and Coach Raveling. It was a handful of guys that you could count. And now that number has grown and, um, and it's been a long journey. I think by and large, you know, even in the sports on the field, there was a time where there wasn't very many of us in the mainstream game. And eventually, um, you know, it was, it was realized that you could win that way. And so this is a business and winning is a part of it. And everybody's trying to find someone that can win. And obviously the best way to create opportunities is for those who have opportunities to be successful doing it because those who want to win, they try to find success somewhere and emulate that. So Dennis Gates doing a great job helps the next guy. Yeah. You know, what Shaheen did helps the next guy. You mentioned Bashir Mason and guys like that. Bashir Mason is a successful coach who's done a great job. And I think that's the best thing we can do at this point is those who have the opportunity to take the opportunity and run with it. And in doing so, open doors for others. And there's so many young guys right now that quite simply, Tony Madlock did an unbelievable job early and got another opportunity. And he's going to continue to do a great job. And I think uh, there's so many guys who are proven that they can get it done, that uh, it's going to create even more opportunity. And I, I think, it, you know, I've always said there's so few opportunities anyway, because there's only 360 odd jobs in our field. So even if everybody had one, it'd still only be that many in, in the world. So it would still be rare to be able to get a job of that quality. Um, but there's so many guys doing a good job. And I think that has a lot to do with why there's more people getting opportunity each year. Hey, coach. Um, last question, man. And this is straight from my guy, Jeff Goodman, man. Obviously you've been uh, in the business for a while, you know what I'm saying? So on, on a lighter note, coach, man, we want to know your craziest, most most wildest recruiting story. And part of this series, man, I've, I've asked all my coaches this, man. I've heard of guys running out of gas on the highway, having to push the car down, down some remote road. I've heard of guys having to go to the beach and depths of the hood in some crazy neighborhood, man. I've heard a bunch of stories, man. But I want to know, man, I know, like I said, you got a bunch of years under your belt, man. So what yeah. are some of the craziest recruiting stories that kind of first come to your mind, man, when you think back? Man, there's a lot of them. Um, but I was telling this one the other day, uh, not something I'm particularly proud of, but um, back when I was at St. Bonaventure early in my career, I was recruiting a young man by the name of Caswell Cyrus. Caswell was from uh, the Toronto area, 
he was a really quiet kid, hard kid to get to know. And um, back then they, 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 they had a rule that you couldn't, you couldn't transport them home. Hmm. And I broke the rule um, because uh, the schedule to get him back, the only way I could get him back on time was to take him myself. It was going to be about a three hour drive. So I did it. I took him home and, uh, and got him back in time. And on the drive back, I got in a real bad car accident. I mean, it was bad. I wasn't hurt. I was fine, but the car was total. And it was, I mean, the car was spun around and, and it was, it was, it was really a scary deal. And I, I walked away from it and the police picked me up and took me home. And Jim Barron, who was my boss at the time, it was his car. I borrowed his car to take the kid back. So not only was I doing something I wasn't supposed to do, I was also using his car. And then I totaled his car. And I was, my mom was living in Canada at the time. And I was about an hour from her house. And police came to the scene. The accident was definitely not my fault. That was a fact at the time. Um, there was a, 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 it was like late at night, two in the morning, and a, a lane was closed because they were doing construction on the highway. Right. And a pickup truck came into the lane in front of me and hit my car. And uh, so it could have been more tragic. The car was, was damaged and it was a dealer car. So the car belonged to a dealership and all of that. And I never remember what happened. I just knew that Jim Barron took care of me on that and covered me. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get fired for breaking the rule and I didn't get in trouble for ruining his car. And, uh, and Jim Barron, he's my man <laughs> because it never became an issue, but that came to mind because I was just talking to Jim a couple, couple weeks ago and out of the blue, cause I didn't even know how, I didn't know if he remembered it that well or not, but he, uh, he made it clear that he remembered and I still hold him one for that. And I definitely yeah. do. Well, shoot, man. Praise to God, man, for you being able to live to tell that story down. That's definitely, that's definitely a crazy one coach, but, uh, Definitely want to say thank you, man, for coming on today, man. We, we've had a wonderful conversation and uh, definitely wishing you nothing but the best, you know, at, at SMU. Like I mentioned before, um, it's an extreme honor to be able to, you know, sit here and, and talk to another African-American coach who's, you know, achieved success at the highest level and is, is, is continuing to, to do so. So, you know, I just want to say thank you for your time. Uh, it really means a lot, man. And we're definitely going to be rooting on for you guys at, at SMU this year. Thanks, Andrew. I, I, I respect what you're doing, man. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Coach. Until next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.